What's up, everybody? You're listening to The Flat Circle, a True Detective after show. This is the podcast version of our video after show that we do on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined by Jason Concepcion. Hello. We're here to investigate the case of Hunters in the Dark by asking a simple question. How many crimes are we talking about? <laughs> Scooby McNary. This is the Flat Circle, <laughs> True Detective After Show. What's up, everybody? I'm Chris Ryan. I'm Jason Concepcion. This is the Flat Circle, a True Detective After Show. We're joining you after Hunters in the Dark. And we're, we're starting to get a case here. We're starting to get a situation where yeah. we might have more than one crime. I think for the most of the season, we've been fixated on this, where is Julie Purcell and right. who killed Will Purcell? But... If there's more than one crime, if there's not more than one crime, we might have multiple perpetrators, and a couple of them are starting to step out of the shadows. Yeah. Hunters in the Dark could refer to Hoyt, who is on safari at the beginning of the season, when uh, Hayes and Wes first go to Hoyt to, to ask about. A months-long safari, apparently. Yeah, apparently. So he could be a hunter. Also, Hayes himself was a hunter out in the Vietnamese jungle during the war. Tom, so does, a, Tom does a little hunting. Yeah, thing. a lot of hunters in the dark, but we're going to get to all of that by asking... The big questions, who, what, when, where, and why. We'll start with what, and I'll just take you through each timeline. 1980, Wayne is basically told by the Attorney General that Woodard will be convicted uh, in absentia for the murder of 12 people, including Will and Julie, because in 1980, they think Julie is right. dead as well. They think that those bodies have been burned in various stoves that Woodard had on his <laughs> property. Uh, and a lot of, It's a lot of work. Yeah, the majority of this episode, though, takes place in 1990 when Hayes and West interrogate Tom, and Tom does not handle it well. No, no! He breaks a little bit, and you can sort of see Hayes and West starting to turn on Tom, yeah. and they start to look a little deeper into Tom's life, and they find out that Tom is, in fact, gay, and that he has been going through uh, some gay conversion therapy. Attempting Obviously, to. his life is being stitched together by the 12 steps yep. of addiction recovery. This is a guy who's kind of like living barely on the edge, but it's important to note that West and Tom had this bond, that West basically right. took Tom in, like, in from the storm. Like a stray dog, like we see him in 2015. Right, so Tom, like, West is sort of unlike a lot of true detective characters in that he essentially is very kind. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get a lot of true detective characters who do that. We find out from Tom's former boss that he was outed for going uh, to a gay bar. Interestingly, you know, the, the detectives go back to Hoyt. Mm-hmm. And they interview Harris James, who was the police officer on site after the Woodard incident in 1980, who first discovered the backpack and the dress on Woodard's property. He's doing well for himself. Well, he recognized it, not discovered. He's the one who went, hey, that's the boy's right. backpack. Right, He makes a distinction between right. discover and recognize. It's worth noting that Harris James's relationship with Hoyt seemed to extend even into the 70s, where he was a night guard, right. like a security guard at the factory, did some consulting, and then after... Uh, he leaves the force, he joins Hoyt for the majority of the 80s. Also, may have made a pass at Hayes at the end of that scene. Right. So you're starting to see this undercurrent of uh, wariness and sort of unease yeah. with homosexual culture in the 1980s and 1990s in Arkansas. Uh, meanwhile, Amelia talks to a girl at a woman's shelter who looks like a lost Olsen sister, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the girl knows Julie as Mary July, Again, references this pink room. So now you get a mention of the pink room for the first time outside of the ramblings yep. of a runaway. 
We will talk more about pink rooms, obviously. Julie has described herself as a queen in a pink castle. Wayne and Roland talk to Dan O'Brien, who, uh, that's a nice don't do drugs ad. Right. He wants money in return for information. Seven grand, aim higher, Dan. He describes <laughs> Lucy, who's been living. <laughs> I mean, in 1990 money, that's a nice, that's a down payment on, a, on an Ozark's <laughs> cottage. Uh, Lucy and Dan, apparently, as we have suspected for a yes. while, shared some life milestones. <laughs> yeah. Take that as you will. Take whatever that means. There was a suggestion earlier that that Julie might not be Tom's child. Obviously, if if Tom was gay, it suggests it kind of gets at the sort of the rot in the, in the yeah. at the core of their relationship when when they go to the press conference to announce that Woodard is going to be tried in absentia, and Tom okay. tries to comfort Lucy, she rips her hand away. So that relationship isn't going well. Um, we finally get our 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 black man with a scar, though. That's right. The guy who's been, well, we don't know if it's the same guy, but we have to safely assume it is. But this man who's been sort of associated with this brown sedan. Lurking on the fringes of the case. Leaving town the day of the disappearance. Yeah. He shows up at Amelia's book reading, and he basically holds her to account for profiting off of this disappearance. He's like, do you know where Julie is? Same criticism, it should be noted, that Wayne hurled at his wife yes. uh, during that heated argument they had a few episodes yes. ago. And so this guy shows up at a reading, he confronts her, and Amelia's like, dolls. Like, she immediately yes. remembers the black man with the one eye who bought a bunch of these bridal dolls uh, so many years ago. In 2015, not a ton there. We've basically got confirmation that Henry and Eliza are together. Yep. Uh, he's got to tell his <laughs> wife about that. Um, Does he? Well... Uh, Wayne is like, do I gotta you? say, personally, <laughs> on my list of priorities of the things that I need sort of sewn up in this season, Henry and Eliza is kind of like... Very, yes. This is a late second round draft pick. Wayne is very much like... <laughs> That's my, Euro, my Euro draft and stash yeah, right. <laughs> of picks. Wayne's uh, Alzheimer's is kicking in a little bit here. Big time. Where, you know, he basically leaves the room once with, uh, with Roland comes back and pretty much forgets why Roland is even there. He asks if uh, Roland can see the, the late model sedan out there, and Roland's just like, no, man, there's nothing out there. So 2015's not going great, but probably is a good, a good like, bulwark against too much old man cop stuff, which would not be... I, lo I, I love I, the old man cop I stuff. want a lot of this to be happening in 1990. Yeah. That's the what. Jason, let's get into Let's talk about who. So Hoyt, obviously the shadow that's kind of been looming over this season... We get our first foray into Casa Hoyt, uh, which is a... Or you could say Castle Hoyt. Castle Hoyt. Yeah. Clearly a lot of... Uh, you can see how certainly a child would think of it as a castle. Um, it has a lot of those crenellation structures on the top of the wall. We don't actually meet him, but his presence is felt. Uh, Harris James talked about him. Former state trooper, moonlighting as a security officer for Hoyt since the late 70s. And disappears um, sometime soon after the interview. In the 90s, he disappears. Mentions that he was working the 10 to 6 a.m. shift when he was moonlighting at that time because they ask him, you, you know, Lucy Purcelli yeah. was like, well, unless you work 10 to 6, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know her. By his admission, is the first to recognize the importance of Will's bag. Says he saw Tom at the scene watching from across the street, which is pretty convenient for us yeah, yeah. Uh, again denies knowing Lucy when they ask him what do you do here at the, at Hoyt uh, you know guard the chickens uh, make sure nobody steals the pigs he from memory 
yeah, reels just, off his job description, right. securing without compromise the integrity of corporate assets while guarding against hazards to daily operation. Interesting. We also, from the end of this episode, can can safely say that he personally guards Hoyt's home. Mm-hmm. So his duties extend beyond the plant. Also, really casual when he sees when well, he sees it, Tom on the. It on suggests the, that they were luring him there. I, I agree. Yeah. Like he's just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. Slowly puts out the cigarette and goes. No panic at all. Again, disappeared during the ninety investigation, which we should note that. Eliza, when she brings this up, seems to be confronting Wayne about it. Yeah, yeah, and stares Wayne also ha- seems to use selective Alzheimer's there. Yeah, stares like him. Yeah, stares him hard in the eye, and he's like, uh, 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 "Who? What?" And then kills Tom. I mean, I think that's the implication that it's about to happen. Uh, that scene was really interesting. They don't deviate a lot from Roland or Wayne's perspective or yeah. Amelia's perspective in this show, for the most part one of those three characters is present for every scene of this show up until this Tom scene. Like, we've had a little bit of Tom walking around. We've had a little bit of Lucy walking Mm -hmm. around. But usually it's with Wayne, Roland, or Amelia. And this is the first time that we kind of have Tom off on his own. And, I mean, we'll be debating this for basically until the next episode. Was he lured? How did they know Tom was coming? How were they prepared for that? And then, of course, what did Tom see? I mean, he says, Julie, what is it that he saw? The black man with the scar and the glass eye shows up in Amelia's reading. I think the interesting thing, we've talked about him, obviously don't know much about his identity other than what's kind of been uh, referenced throughout the series. I think the thing that's interesting is his anger. Why is he so angry? What is he so angry about? And also, when he asks if she knows at all where... where Like, do you have a theory? Yeah, yeah where Julie might be. He also says, do they? Yeah. So what is his relationship to this wider conspiracy? We'll talk about that in a bit. Tom, uh, Wayne and Roland suspect him now, discover he's a closeted gay man, as we said. He overhears the cops talk about Dan and manages to track Dan down to his old meth uh, haunts, yeah. this old meth hotel that he's used in the past, and inter- interrogates Dan at gunpoint. And Dan says something about Lucy being paid. Mm-hmm and that he knows the man's name who was paying her. The question then is, how does Tom get from there to Hoyt? Yeah. Does Dan say something else that off camera that we don't see? Yeah, and also I think that, I mean, Dan crucially says these guys don't renegotiate at right. some point. And that's going to get to this larger conspiracy that Jason and I are going to talk mm-hmm. about like later in the episode, but that we're talking about something that wasn't a crime of passion and that wasn't a one-off killing, but was actually part of a larger underworld of crime. Julie Purcell, we discover from Amelia's trip to the halfway house that she stayed at this uh, halfway house run by nuns for a time, calling herself Mary or Mary July or Mary Julie, like summertime, says the lost Olsen sister. (laughs) Um, And then she talked about living in the pink rooms, being a queen in the pink castles. And then I guess my further question is, how did she escape from the pink rooms because mm-hmm. that, seems, that seems to be the implication. Yeah. Dan O'Brien contacts uh, the police department looking for Wayne and Roland. He is methed up to the gills, uh, claims to have information regarding the case, refuses to give it up without a payment of seven grand. Shout out to Dan for really committing to multiple flavors in that breakfast because he's smoking <laughs> while eating scrambled That's eggs tough. while drinking coffee. And if you've ever smoked, 
typically you don't do it while you're eating. Yes. <laughs> he also uh, gives us some of our best hints at the wider conspiracy. Says, there are people out there making sure that none of your questions will be answered. Yes. Uh, suggests that Lucy's death was uh, on purpose and was staged to look like an OD. Yeah. And then of Julie says, you think she has a week, suggesting that these pink room people we, we suspect are looking for her closing as well. in on her, yeah. Also, when he pulls away, drives either a brown or an orange Capri. Yeah. Not a sedan, though. A smaller car, but yeah. still, we should, we should think about that car. Uh, our good friend Margaret, who is, again, we have mentioned before, always seems to be at Lucy's side. We see her again at the press conference in 1980, when they announced that Woodard is being, uh, is being charged with all these murders. Uh, we see her as Lucy starts to get up because she's very upset. She like, wants to comfort her, but then Lucy storms off. There's, so, there's, it's, it's not an accident. She's you know there, I mean? she's always there. Why is she always there? Right. Um, and the suggestion we think, certainly, is that she is the point of contact uh, between Lucy and the wider conspiracy. Mm -hmm. The money purse, the bag woman, perhaps. Yeah. And then, when we're at the halfway house. Speaking of there not being any accidents. The camera lingers. First of all, the camera starts with a shot in the foreground of this lawn guy. Later, as they're speaking, there's a noise from outside and they look down and the camera pans down and there he is. Ardoin landscaping. So this is mildly cheating, but we looked this up. Yeah, I mean, you would just say like, oh, Ardoin, like, like anything in True Detective, you see it on the screen, you're gonna naturally wanna know what's the importance there. So we looked it up. Ardoin is the last name of Mike, Mike Ardoin, the kid who went trick-or-treating with the Purcell kids and was the first to link uh, the dolls with Halloween. Yeah. So what this means, we'll suss that out in a little bit, but. Well, I mean, he's still in the story, right? Ten years later, which is crucial. So uh, is the, so I guess the question is like, is this him? Did his family own the landscaping? Yeah, because his parents aren't present for either of the interrogations. Right. Once Amelia talks to him alone on the playground of the school, and then the second time, Wayne and Roland and Amelia talk to him, and they talk a little bit about Star Wars, mm -hmm. and Wayne does the lightsaber thing. So yeah, I mean, Mike Mike is a character who has spanned all these, these time periods. So let's take it to Conspiracy Corner and try and weave together yeah, because like there's threads. I, I think that you could make, you know, if you were talking about the context and the where and when of this time, mm -hmm. I think we just discussed this briefly, but like in the 80s and 90s, when people are panicked and scared, yeah. they look for things to blame. Homosexuality was definitely one of those yep. things. And Tom's ostracization from society and from his marriage and from his family is definitely a symptom of that. But we don't have to go too deep into that because I think what this episode did is give us basically, this is the bridge to the last two. Right. Not only like obviously there's only two episodes left, but it's the bridge to here's what's at stake. And what's at stake I think is that we're seeing pretty clearly that there's gonna be this massive conspiracy yep. that's sucking up children from this community. The Runaway says in the convent, if you wanted to write a book, right. you should write about what, what happens, happens to, to girls. girls out there. And this is essentially also what happens in True Detective season one, is that these girls on the margins of society, prostitutes, runaways, drug addicts, are being hoovered up into this grotesque, basically abuse ring, you know? And, I mean, it, and it should be noted, in season one, our big bad is Errol, the groundskeeper at various places, including the uh, Light the Way uh, Christian Church, another groundskeeper. Yeah. And 
it can't be an accident that now we're seeing another groundskeeper no. related in some way to a case that is very could similar. Could be anybody. You know what I mean? You yeah. could have made that any other job. I think that there's a real signal to the structure of these organizations. Last week, Jason and I talked a little bit about this like idea of five horsemen yeah. theory, which was something that was floating around in season one. There's a picture in Dora Lang's mother's house in season one mm -hmm. of Dora being confronted by these five horsemen. There's this idea that there are multiple Billy Lee Tuttles out there, that yep. there are multiple powerful men who to satisfy their own dark urges have started procuring kids for their own needs. There is also the tape that Matthew McConaughey's character discovers in Billy Lee Tuttle's yeah, house. Scary ass tape. And we never see that, but we are take it's you know, you're you you're supposed to basically infer the darkest possible outcome there. Is this five horsemen theory? Is Hoyt part of a larger conspiracy in the region? We've talked about the geographic location and how it's not that far from Louisiana ultimately. When Wes walks into the Purcell house mm -hmm. in 1990 when he's kind of off on his own. He goes into the Purcell house on Shoe Pick Lane and there's a bunch of graffiti there. What have Jason and I have been saying over and over again in this episode? Nothing is by accident yeah. in the show. You've got the very obvious Illuminati-ish pyramid right here and that's hard to miss and that would suggest conspiracy. That would suggest something that is like all these puppet masters pulling right. the strings. And then over his shoulder right here, another crooked spiral. Is another crooked spiral. And this is something, do you want to, I mean, that's what then Eliza brought up. Yeah. So let's try and figure out from what we know, what the structure of this organization, if there is one, might be. So when in season one, they bust Errol, who's a serial killer, but they never really crack the wider conspiracy. So what right. do we think is happening here? If Hoyt is at the top, of this ring, gathering up kids, young girls for who knows what. Who is bringing the kids in? Right. That would be Errol in season one. So we, we would think that Errol was finding these runaways, finding these girls, yeah. procuring them for Tuttle, and then on the side, killing lots of people because that was, was, was fun for him. Is Remember, he's a hunter. Right, he's a hunter. Is it a similar occupation for this guy? I mean, working at these halfway homes, right? Putting the finger on uh, especially um, damaged and easily, you know, easily snatched young girls. I don't know if there's a landscape reunion, but if right. there is, I might have some like a class action complaint about your detective because it's really <laughs> painting your profession in a pretty negative light. And then there's and then there's a gentleman with a glass eye. Yeah. Who remember what? Uh, Whitehead said previously, yeah, a lot of guys with missing fingers, missing toes, missing hands, you, you could have lost it working at the at the chicken plant. Working the kill line at Work the chicken at the chicken plant. Yeah. Why is this guy so angry? My theory is that he perhaps was one of these people who was helping either helping procure or knew about it mm -hmm. from Hoyt, from his time at Hoyt, which is how the eye got damaged. And that perhaps the reason he's so angry about exploiting this is that he's been trying to crack this case too. He's been trying to protect these girls. Perhaps Hoyt has been preying on girls in the black community and we just have no idea yeah. because nobody cares about yeah. it. And it's just not reached the level of news. And that's why he's so pissed that someone is exploiting this for money because he's trying to find and protect these girls and just 
is not managing to do it. That's why he's looking for Julie. Yeah, so it just leads us to a bunch of questions. What's going to be Mike Ardoin's role in this? Yes. What's going to be Margaret's role in this? This is the friend that's always seen with Lucy Purcell in the 1980 mm -hmm. timeline. And if you're going to tease out and you're going to follow the Mike Ardoin breadcrumb back, when they interview Mike for the second time yeah. in episode two of season three, when Weston mm -hmm. Hayes interview Mike in the classroom, he says, I wasn't with them the whole night. That's right. You know, they had already come, but I don't think they had had the dolls before I met them, right? right? And he says, did you ever see them with anybody else? They ask him, did you ever see them with anybody else? And Mike says, with two ghosts. Two people wearing big big bed sheets as, as ghosts. So remember how we talked about the, uh, the trailer for upcoming, you know, this season on True Detective. There was a picture that we think Amelia is handing to Wayne. And it's very blurry, but it certainly suggests Halloween. Yeah. This is gonna be, I mean, that is, I thought it was his backpack, but that uh, looks like a jack-o'-lantern, you know, for candy. There's a little orange here. Uh, don't see any ghosts, although there are strange. These two figures, but the only thing with those figures is that they're bigger than a car. Yeah, like so this what almost is that? looks like a miniature, like they're doing a dollhouse thing. This photo, I but that we haven't seen this yet. Yeah, we haven't seen this, and we haven't seen the website that has Marty and Rust. And those are the two. Yeah. Those are the two big ones, and we haven't seen whoever uh, Roland is beating up in that barn. Those are the those are the hammers that we're waiting to see. We haven't seen the car door open. Right. So there's still a lot of stuff from that trailer that we have yet to see. Yeah, so I, I mean, in some ways they have a lot to do in this last two yeah. episodes. There's a lot of, of knots that need to be untied, mm -hmm. but I still think like we're arriving somewhere where these guys are gonna be confronted with Hoyt. The question is, physically, these dudes can't do much in 2015. <laughs> know, I'm, not, gonna... I'm not actually knocking it. I'm actually wondering whether or not what we're arriving at might be frustrating for True Detective fans and the people who are a little bit more on the sleuthing side of yeah. it, as obviously Jason and I are. But like, I don't know what resolution we're really gonna get I, in 2015 unless Henry's like, I'll I, do it for you. I think we're gonna find, like Memento, another, another story based on a character who has uh, memory problems. I think we're gonna find that Wayne solved it in 90, or came as close as possible to solving it before getting warned off by Hoyt. Right and that he just forgot about it flat out, doesn't know yeah. what happened. Yeah, I mean, there's something obviously that he feels like that, that Roland is like, yes. you've never apologized to me, and Wayne is, does not know what that is. Yeah. There's one last, only people who are like eagle eye watching this <laughs> is gonna notice, but we wanna end on this note because only Concepcion <laughs> like, could have right. figured this out, and it's such a, such a G move by him. <laughs> well, okay, so. When Wayne and Roland in the 2015 timeline are hanging out, uh, you know, Wayne leaves the room and Roland picks up Amelia's book, uh, which was published it around 1991. Around yeah, like, 1991. Yeah. And, you know, there's a bunch of stuff annotated here in circles, and then there's like a thing about, uh, you know, Will Purcell's body that uh, seems like Wayne wrote that in. But then you read this stuff and it's like, it references a cell phone and a car crash. And I was like, what, what, how can, how 1990, how could she have a cell phone? And then I took a still of another page from it, which I don't know if you can see that well, but at the top it says, the woman in the window. The woman in the window <laughs> is a book 
not yet in paperback, released in 2018 by the author Dan Mallory, came out last year, was the fiction book of the year. It's about a woman who is an unreliable narrator who poses as different people online uh, and may have committed various crimes. Recently, in this week's New Yorker, there is a profile of the author Dan Mallory, who it seems is also an unreliable like narrator, yeah. is a scammer who has told many lies, including about himself having various types of inoperable cancers. Interesting choice to have this book be the stand-in book for Amelia, a character who, by her own admission, loves playing characters. And loves to go and just invent a new identity for herself. So what does that mean? Yeah. Is Amelia who we think she is? And you know, uh, That just so, takes us back to what we said the very yeah. first second of this episode. How many different people committed crimes? Yeah. What, are, what did Amelia do? What did the black man at the reading do? Yeah. What did Harris James do, aside from obviously nuke a dude in the pink room? <laughs> what, what is the conspiracy that Dan O'Brien seemed to know about? Yeah. How did Dan O'Brien know, know about How does Dan know about this? Because yeah. we still don't know. You know, one of the things I thought was really fascinating, not to get off on a rant no, here, totally. is they didn't even really, like how is it in the 90 is when they bring up the people that didn't come up in 80? Yeah, nobody mentioned so it at all. that speaks to how in 80, yeah. that thing just got swept right under the rug. In 90, they bring up the people, but like, who's the people for? If yeah. Dan's like, no way it wasn't me, and Tom is like, no way it wasn't me, who was passing the notes between the hole? Because we saw also that you could roll up the notes and pass them yep. between the, 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 the people in Ju Julian Will's room closet. And what role did Lucy play in that? Yeah. If Lucy's being paid off for some sort of complicity, and, and she's like, I have the soul of a whore, I need to be forgiven, but was she really pimping out her daughter? Like, I mean, like, I don't even know, like, we have to get to the bottom of that. So there's like five crimes that could yeah. have been committed in this situation, all around these group of people, and it's all being told in this guy who's losing <laughs> his grip on reality. And as Wayne says numerous times throughout this episode, uh, uh, first when confronted with the backpack evidence that was planted at Woodward's. Who who were they meeting at the Devil's Den? We still have no idea right. who they were going to right. play with. Yeah, and we only just found out that Devil's Den's like a cruising spot. Yes. So the story changes over the decades. The story changes over the course of this season. We have two episodes left, and I, I have to imagine we're in for some real fireworks in 7 and 8. Serious Hoyt stuff. All right, man. So for Jason Concepcion, I'm Chris Ryan. This has been the Flat Circle True Detective After Show. We'll be with you next week for episode 7.